Welcome to the Visions of a Better World podcast. We are part of Global Visions, an association founded in Helsinki, Finland. Our goal is to bring people and organizations together as well as develop ideas and ways of thinking to make the world a better place. In this podcast series, our association is represented by me, project planner Petri Lahtinen, and Max Dalberi, the founder and chairperson of the association. We are also inviting guests to the podcast to discuss themes that are important in making the world a better place. Welcome, everyone. Yeah, let's let's continue with critical theory, and maybe start off by asking what what it is, when it did, when it arose, and and what are its influences. Well, critical theory is um, arose in Germany in the 1930s, especially. Uh, in the 20s, uh, a sort of Marxist um, uh, institute was founded in, in Frankfurt in, in Germany, uh, called later uh, Institute für Sozialforschung, Institute for Social Research. And in the 1930s, it, at the beginning, it was kind of, kind of Marxist uh, science. But later in the 30s, uh, came in new people and they reformulated the project as they called critical theory of society, kritische Gesellschaftstheorie. And then the idea was exactly to uh, sort of uh, uh, take Marx, many of Marx's ideas of do, how to do research, what kind of research to do, and, and have that kind of project. And the project then would be focused on the general idea of emancipation of humanity, that was sort of the early Frankfurt School critical theory formulation. Uh, general ideas of an inclusive humanity, of freedom for all, and equality, and all these kind of things that would be the guideliding principles for a form of research. While at the same time uh, dropping all connection with any political parties, dropping connections, necessary connections with with sort of revolution or the idea of, of, of the proletariat as the motor of history. And instead, let's drop those ideas and just go forward and formulate a research, research uh, field where you do this kind of form of research that is much inspired by, by Marx, exactly that sort of critical. And that's why they call it critical, critical uh, theory. That was especially well-known name are Theodore Adorno, Max Horkheimer, and, and Herbert Marcuse in the 30s. Uh, very soon, already 1933, uh, since since they were of Jewish origin, they had to flee Germany, so they moved to the United States um, and, and they continued their work there. Um, and then after the war, some of them came back to, the, to Germany to continue that. And critical theory since then has stayed on, evolved from being sort of a German-centered uh, idea. It has spread out, and it, you can find it in all all parts of the world today. You have a lot of scholars that do critical theory, and they always sort of they formulate it towards the background of this general idea, research project, partly philosophy, partly empirical uh, research, where you have a certain task. Uh, formula well-grounded critique of society or assessment of societies and so on, or of the present in general. Yeah, because we mentioned the influences of critical theory and previously 
in the case of Marx, we were discussing that he could not foresee the rise of totalitarian regimes and uh, fascism in in the twentieth century. Uh, so, in that sense, uh, and 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 like you said, Christian, that Marx was sort of following the footsteps or not footsteps, but the the sort of worldview of Hegel, believing in progress, yes. and were, were optimist about that. But when we, for example, read one of the most major defining works of critical theory, that is the uh, the dialect, dialect of enlightenment. Yeah, yes. enlightenment by Adorno and Horkheimer. There, there's the the pessimism is evident. And yes, the, the yes. backdrop of that being that they, while they wrote that, that was during World War Two, and they were, yes. like you yes. said, exiled in the United States. Yes. So, so, the, so there's a switch definitely there from this optimism and and, and belief in progress to the uh, pessimism about the well, whether whether or not enlightenment can actually bring us about uh, happiness and well-being and, and well-functioning societies. Exactly, yes. So the, the, the main text for the uh, critical theory in, in Frankfurt, they were formulated in, or published in 1937, that was already in, 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 um, in the United States. Um, uh, but then came the war, Hitler, and that became sort of the reality. And already, just a few years, 1941, I think, Adorno and Horkheimer, who were, especially Horkheimer, was sort of were very optimistic, seeing this, yes, we should have this research program where we do something that is sort of good for humanity. Uh, and then, but then together with Adorno, they started to write this dialectic alignment because what they saw happening to Nazism, uh, uh, especially, was uh, its high level of rationality that mm. was that was also implemented mm. in an extremely destructive mm. way, mm. and and this came uh, that, through that came a, a kind of pessimism or or uh, at that moment where you 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 they they write that that. We, we, we have a fully rational, rationalized society, and what we see is only destruction. So they have this very skepticism coming up towards reason or rationalization of society that what it produces mostly is destruction. Um, of course, it's 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 a bit temporary uh, this pessimism because after the war, then um, uh, other critical theorists uh, go back to the original project. There was always always a strong interest then in the intelligibility of a totalitarian society, and that was one of the projects for the critical theorists to sort of study what is totalitarianism, how come this came about, what what is its logic, its rationality, and to sort of unmask uh, totalitarian thinking both in, both in uh, in in Germany and in the Soviet Union. So there were a lot of focus on those kind of negative uh, topics. Uh, also, their empirical work in, within within that school, there was a lot of empirical works on on sort of sort of problems, <laughs> wrongness in society that was studying studying. Uh, but then then later, um, uh, people like Marcuse uh, and later Habermas sort of returned to this 
this more, let's say, hopeful <laughs> mode of critical theory, and then uh, connecting uh, uh, a sort of what they call a diagnostic perspective of what is sort of going wrong, what is wrong, bad in our society, with some form of uh, of normative framework that you could work out from this that would be a sort of view towards a better better society or better world or more equal and sort of this kind of this kind of uh, perspectives yeah when previously when we discussed marx and uh, the especially that part of reading marx that you there are many uh, a big vast variety of different interpretations and when you even go back to Marx's original writings you yourself have to do uh, interpreting of your your own because of the style yes. in which Marx wrote but when we especially when the, when we get to uh, critical theory as we discussed uh, the kind of skepticism or even outright pessimism towards the the rationality uh, and enlightenment uh, taking that into consideration and then uh, also the fact that uh, if we discuss the the work dialectic of enlightenment they uh, i have understood that uh, adorno and horkheim had this uh, conscious project uh, of not formulating their kind of the argumentation is not very easily followable and some the the subtitle of that work is even uh, philosophical fragments yes, yes so if we think about because during these sessions we have tried to focus on the question of justice mm-hmm. so if we think of this work uh do you think that if if we discuss uh, the question of just justice theory of justice that is there because and the the idea of the pessimism is there can we interpret or find the solution to or the alternative if one is presented in the, in this particular work or, or perhaps in other works that would be alternative or the the change of direction that we should take uh op- opposed to this uh sort of old rationalism that had led up to the the birth of fascism and totalitarianism and, and nazi germany um i, I would rather i don't think that we in that work could find but i, I would rather sort of Let's put in Max Weber <laughs> in that picture. Max Weber, German sociologist, uh, slightly earlier, 1920s mainly. Um, so when he sort of uh, diagnosed uh, development of Western society at that time, he uh, presented a, a distinction between uh, how sort of our society is going more in the direction of uh, an emphasis of what especially what Adorno Horkheimer later called instrumental rationality. The rationality means that you can, that it instrumentalized. You can make anything rational independently of uh, uh, the goal. And society is mostly focused on making this instrument, developing instrumental rationality. While at the same time, our sort of old classical view 
what Weber calls value rationality, that is reasoning about what is important for human beings and these kind of classical questions, they are sort of put away. And, and of course, what Adorno Horkheimer in that uh, um, work sees is exactly this uh, dominance of instrumental rationality and they don't see any way out. So they're very pessimistic about viewing sort of uh, going back to reason as a solution because we don't have that, what Weber call a value rationality thinking left in society more where we think about what is good for human being, what would be a good society. These are the way they have died, they almost think at that time. So um, you, in that sense, you don't find a um, solution. And of course, much of the sort of critical theory tradition is sort of, should one go for solutions at all? What is, what is the sort of, when are we uh, critical in a good way? When we present people with solutions, is that critical? Um, Usually the reaction when, when someone presents a solution to people, they think, well, it's his view. <laughs> and that's it. Uh, and that's, I think, how many of us react. This is this philosopher has this view. Okay, now I know about his views, but so what? <laughs> it's not my view. So is that, how critical is that? That's what's something. But other things that, okay, maybe it's more critical if we tell uh, stories about uh, what is going wrong, what is bad, and we bring these out. And this is a way what happens in the dialectic of enlightenment. They are really putting forward a very bleak picture of the work. And then you can ask, well, some would say that that's more critical because that makes us aware of bad things. It doesn't press anything on us, any solution from outside. So uh, we have to think about it ourselves. Is it like this? Is it sort of this bad? And okay, I can get very depressed <laughs> really about that. But maybe the little hope in the background is people by thinking themselves, they start to, well, I, I don't want it like that. We don't want him to have it like that. So let's try to do something different here. Uh, so many in the critical theory think that, that that's that sort of the diagnostic or the unmasking aspect. That's the most critical because you bring out problems and you give them a, f a form, an intelligibility, so that people can understand, okay, I didn't see it like that. Now I see what's not working here. Uh, so it's a project of understanding in a way, <laughs> diagnostic and understanding. And, and many of you, if we go in critical theory tradition after, uh, after Adorno and Horkheimer, or that work of Adorno and Horkheimer, they, they did other things yes. afterwards that wasn't sort of the same. Um, if you go to, to Michel Foucault, who is also a critical theorist, mm -hmm. so he's in a way continuing that. He doesn't want to come up with any kind. He refuses any solutions. <laughs> but he's interesting to make intelligible how sort of power works in contemporary society. And then he tries to, he makes this kind of, conceptions of power, theories of power that are situated in, in our society, which when we read about it, okay, I didn't think about it works like that on me. And by, by bringing out diagnostically this, how power works, what influences us, we are sort of enlightened in a way. We are not giving any solution. If you ask Foucault, well, what would be a good form of power? We need some power in society. What would be good for 
refuses absolutely <laughs> to take any kind of standpoint of that. So he thinks that the most critical project is to stay with that diagnostic. As a philosopher, I shouldn't impose any, any, because that would then be Foucault's views or our views, and and that's a views of one individual and nobody. But if you just if you bring out this this um, story, uh, then people really, the only thing that happens is that people needs begins to think, and okay, that's critical in a way. Well, then then other other brands of theory where you think that, well. You don't know really what there is going. Well, what's happening? Okay, how power works. But okay, we should be able to say something about what could be a better thing, and then develop more sort of normative conceptions. Yes. Yes, and speaking of solutions, and going back to Adorno and Hockenheimer, I was now again uh, going through my memory bank, so to speak, and maybe one additional element that sort of increased their pessimism is that I have this vague notion that after the World War, Second World War, that was that is that the US government sort of tried to or partially hired them as a project to understand uh, the fascist ideology and how that ideology comes about individuals and the instrumental rationality came into play that they wanted to find uh, practical solutions of how is it possible to reprogram people uh, out of uh, fascist thinking and sort of turn them into allies or something or even if is it possible to ideology uh, or program reprogram an ideology to a person so so going from the okay let's just try to understand fascism and stay at that let's stay critical going to let's what would be basically brainwashing people mm-hmm. to a different ideology I, I this is something that i vaguely remember hearing about so i don't know how much this is based on actual events or through but I, I know that those kinds of uh, ideas uh, were fluent in the 1950s and also 1960s and I think I've seen some TV series where that, that sort of uh, is implemented uh, also I have no idea if that has anything to do I don't know how comment I don't know any I have never heard that yeah. that connection or critical I, I so so I uh, I don't think but uh, but of course uh, some uh, m- person might have been influenced I'm sort of taking taking that as a starting point but no no but I know that those kind of ideas of uh, of sort of programming people manipulation in the in the in a very deep sense were, were sort of uh, in the 1950s and 60s and yes very interesting talk can you sort of this is probably a thought for our future robotical society can you sort of begin to program uh, people at being uh, good uh, egalitarians, <laughs> democratic <laughs> citizens, and have uh, robots that are like that. Also, that will be something for the next uh, ten, twenty years. I think that will come. So basically, uh, critical theory in a nutshell is 
uh, more interested or maybe not even interested but the focus within that movement lies in the uh, the diagnosing and anal analyzing the sort of circumstances influences um, historical processes that lead mm -hmm. to situations where what can be considered unjust or yes. unequal rather than saying that but, this is what is just, this is what is equal, and this is what we should pursue and strive towards. Well, well not really, because yeah. you have this other uh, brand of critical theory that was especially strongly uh, developed by Jürgen Habermas in Germany in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Uh, well, he takes uh, this, uh, uh, he's critical of Adorno Horkheimer's mm. uh, pessimism. Mm. He's critical of the way they sort of reduce mm. our conception of reason to instrumental rationality. Mm. He's critical of the idea that the only option is sort of some old fashioned kind of value rationality. And then he develops uh, an, a, a different. Mm. Uh, uh, normative outlook and, and really had develops a conception of justice on the basis of this. So Foucault, you don't find any conception of justice. You find sort of, you can you can see what he thinks are good things. So more freedom and less power seems good, but less control, less control and all this. Thing. But Habermas, he developed really a conception of justice. And, and and to that he uh, sort of it's it's a very complicated thing because it's connected to a diagnosis of of our society. He uh, puts in Kantian modes of thinking in that. But in a nutshell, so what he develops is a conception of the democracy that he called deliberative democracy, or actually the conception of deliberative democracy simultaneously developed in in in. Uh, Philosophy, political philosophy otherwise, but then in Habermas, true critical theory, uh, where he claims that, okay, it's not really true that we are totally dominated by instrumental rationality. Uh, that is, it's, it's true, sort of, it's much of that around, but there's also other competences and resources that we find in our own society and that we, all of us, know about. We know how to practice these other competencies. And they are fully, it's a form of reason. And he calls this communicative reason, which means a kind of reason which we are all familiar with, where we sit here together, you say something and then ask what you mean, and then you explain to me, and then I ask, uh, why do you think like that? And then you try to sort of explain to me why you think like that. And then we have this kind of communication and see, maybe we we can begin to think, okay, should we sort of come to a kind of agreement on things here? Could we come up with a conception that we or three here would all agree upon? Then we are practicing a form of reason that he calls communicative reason, where people come together and reason. And this is not instrumental because you, you sort of, it's a form of argumentation in a way. And on the basis of this, he develops a, a conception of justice first where he says justice in, in this kind of context means that all three of us should have the right to, to participate in this discussion because it's about a common thing. All three of us should have the possibility to uh, come up with a view. When someone is coming up with a view, 
All others have the right to ask that, to motivate and justify that conception and correct it and so on and enter into this kind of process. And this is a, a conception of, 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 of justice developed by Habermas. And on top of that, he then uh, sort of expands this into a conception of democracy that he calls deliberative democracy, which means that a, a conception of democracy that he is, this is the diagnosis, it's not strong enough, but it should be made stronger in our society, where it will be possible for people to discuss what we really want <laughs> and, uh, and have more of this where open argumentation, open discussion, where we reason about things that are important to us, not only political struggle, but also reasoning. So this is a very optimistic view in that sense. And, and then he believes that this is sort of what you can do and you can do it, it's, it's connected to our own society because he claims that this is something we already know. We, we learned this in this century, how to do this. So it's, it, it's, it's in function already. It's just not sort of functioning well enough so we can develop this form of reasoning, uh, deliberative democracy. And uh, so th this is also, this is also, this is his version of doing critical theory. And and if you say that, the, 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 if I said earlier that the critical sort of diagnostic is more influential, it makes us think. Mm -hmm. But this has this has been extremely influential. Uh, and so when you have have sort of um, when uh, Barack Obama became president in the United States, what he said, what he wants to implement here is a conception of deliberate democracy. Mm -hmm. That's what is his, his working principle. So, uh, and he, he, he did that. You, you, if you remember Obama, he had a lot of these uh, uh, discussion forums where he was just one member among others and people have been sort of giving people the opportunity to, to come up with, with views and discuss this openly. He had this kind of... So at least, at least he said, he said that and, and tried in some sense. So, so that, of course, was... Uh, um, influential in a critical sense also that you suddenly have a US president coming up and following in a way well this conception that partly was from critical theory and trying to implement it so that that's that's a, and and you have um, many do critical theory think that this is although Habermas is, is sort of too it's far too idealistic and so on, but it's it's still extremely important that we work also on this level and it's not only the negative. So it's clear that, uh, for example, Habermas has uh, somewhat clearly formulated a theory of justice, but would you say that, uh, while looking at the wider picture, that the movement, the entire movement of critical theory is so maybe manifold that one cannot say that there's a critical th uh, critical theory of justice or the theory of justice within uh, the critical theory per se. Uh, not not a single one. It's it's not in that sense as uh, uh, as it, it's a very manifold. Uh, it's more an approach to yeah. things. So uh, indeed, you find uh, um, many different. Some people avoid these. Uh, sort of normative concept like justice but otherwise other, other ones go into them explicitly and and yes uh, it's a very manifold field today 
I mean, much of uh, feminist theory can be classified as being a sort of critical theory. Mm -hmm. Many feminists work within a critical theoretical perspective uh, and work on also on issues of justice from that perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, racial issues are also many, many without in, in doing racial studies also see themselves as working within the, uh, uh, the field of critical theory. Not all of, of them uh, at all, but, but some, some do, is many of the most influential is, mm. is working with. And then you have a, a, a very manifold field of mm. people today working, working in, in, uh, in critical theory. Yes, and CSV, I, I like to sort of now, because this is our final session and we have discussed so many uh, thinkers and, and schools of thought and, and we have many, many nice, interesting threads floating all over. So I would like to maybe uh, tie some of those threads together and in the case of critical theory, I would like to use this opportunity to uh, hear you elaborate on this, this idea that because earlier we discussed Marx and there's been made this sort of uh, interpretation that critical theory uh, born was born out of uh, this kind of dichotomy between orthodox Marxism and mm -hmm. then something that became critical theory. Yes. So um, if it's not too much of a enormous task to maybe I would be interested in hearing what's the difference uh, with critical theory in comparison to orthodox Marxism and, and what were the kind of uh, early influences of Marxist ideology and philosophy that uh, then kind of became the early critical theory. Yes, yes. So that that's uh, that's a good point. So so today, when you view the field, some call themselves Marxists mm -hmm. and other critical theorists, uh, and uh, they you they want to keep up this distinction. Uh, so what's the difference? They are sort of doing similar kind of things. Um, uh, so one of the uh, other early moves of of critical theory was to move away from the focus on on. Uh, um, economics or the economical aspect of society and rather focus on what they call society as a whole mm. and in that the economical part was just one aspect and at that time in Marxism it was sort of this let's call it the scientific aspects of Marxism the focus was very much on on uh, interpre interpreting uh, the economical mode of society uh, and capitalism, and and the, so so the, in, at that stage one wanted to move away because it's, that was too too restricted, and and in a way that's that's um, that's um, that has stayed on. Yeah. So uh, many who uh, um, view themselves as Marxist, I think today uh, there's usually then a focus on economical issues, whereas critical theory theorists after that. Rarely, in fact, <laughs> far too rarely, are sort of interested or into into that. They are rather into other things. So when you read Habermas, you find very little. It's sort of the economical, the market, global uh, market, the market issues are sort of one of the aspects there in the background that you 
we sort of take for granted, mm-hmm. but he, he doesn't sort of analyze that. And that has stayed on for very long. Now there's, uh, there's now now has happened a, a change. So uh, um, uh, let me grab a book group from my shelf that I. So so now uh, uh, this book came out five years ago. It's a conversation in critical theory by American political theorist Nancy Fraser and the German critical theorist Ryan Yegi, both in, in critical theory, and it's called capitalism. Uh, and, and this is quite now new that that in critical theorists now <laughs> are returning to capitalism. I have other books also written by some people from economics on capitalism. You also find a lot of these. You find Thomas Piketty's uh, uh, studies of, of equality and capitalism that come, comes from economics, but it's a sort of broader thing. So cap- studies of capitalism are now returning in this broader sense. So, so now, uh, and this is very interesting, and we will see what happens. Of course, they are not, Fraser and Yegi, they want to we stay out of orthodox Marxism, but still do capitalism, analysis of capitalism. Yes, uh, but but that's, that has been sort of, a, and it's, it's it's silly in a way, but that's that's how history has has went on. Critical theorists have stayed out of economics. Marxists have wanted to emphasize still the economic uh, sort of base of society and so on. Yes, and I, I, I just that bringing up these uh, more recent developments uh, reminded me that I remember that there was when let's say these uh, Me Too movements uh, really started to g- gain a more popularity and and and, and wi- more widespread acknowledgement uh, within the academic work as well. But there was. Uh, it was this uh, Canadian, uh, maybe may, many want to say his his right wing uh, intellect, uh, Jordan Peterson uh, oh. <laughs> made the accusation that, that there, for example, the question of what gender nouns should be used is is sort of I don't want to say conspiracy, but sort of this project of cultural Marxists, and yeah. that's the cultural Marxist has been it's it's. Um, it's something that is de- debatable whether that exists and it's, it, some say that it's just the uh, term that the more right-wing uh, thinkers have sort of summoned to uh, represent their o- uh, opponents. So yeah, yeah, I mean, um, oh, very often, of course, that's the case, that, uh, that this, y- using isms you should... Uh, find out, I think, whether the kind of people you are studying or talking about, whether they are using mm. these isms themselves mm. or whether it's mainly a, a tag given by someone else to sort of <laughs> lump people together. These are cultural Marxists or something where, well, well, when, when you read them, you see, I'm not a Marxist and Marxist <laughs> is not a Marxist. Of course. So, so, uh, so yes, uh, it, it's, uh, uh, it's good, of course, to find out uh, by yourself how things really are if someone's saying I'm I'm not sort of a Marxist I'm not working in an orthodox Marxist framework someone would anyway call them Marxists because they are sort of interested in capitalism so so, um, so uh, but but it's true in in uh, these isms and other namings are of course used in in, in uh, rhetoric from different sides 
to sort of lump people together and yeah. Yeah, and and and, <coughs> and going back to Marx, I and and back to the beginnings of critical theory, and this distinction between critical theory and, and orthodox Marxism, uh, I I got the sense that, for example, Adorno was uh, not so interested in the the actual ideas or the orthodox interpretation of Marx per se, but he was like, well, as this was the case, more, 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 more with, for example, the ideas and philosophies of Friedrich Nietzsche and, and Sigmund Freud that I yeah. mentioned in the beginning uh, when we started to di- discuss Marx that, okay, these thinkers have uh, interesting ideas, I will just quite liberally take some ideas and then use them as a kind of basis to develop something of my own. And uh, what I've been following, the, what's happening now in the field is that, for example, within critical theory, the kind of Marxism has gained again more popularity since you see kind of this almost uh, uh, very interesting book titles for example I don't remember who, who, who what was the scholar's name but there's this one scholar who has uh, one book that is uh, the Marx eco-socialism yes, and now yes, he yes, has a new book coming up Marx in the Anthropocene so yes. taking it's it seems that Marxism as uh, not necessarily Karl Marx himself, but Marxism has again 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 some popularity within the current critical theory. Yes, yes, it has, and he, he, that has been taking taking place already for for 10, 10, 20 years. I think mm-hmm. that Marx has sort of in this sense uh, returned. Uh, yes, Marx, Nietzsche, and Freud they are sometimes called the masters of suspicion <laughs> because they all in their own way uh, are suspicious of what's going on in society mm-hmm. Freud from the perspective of, of sort of psycho- psychoanalysis uh, and and uh, Nietzsche from the perspective of power and the will to power and Marx from the perspective of, of sort of ex- exploitation and capitalism and so so these these three um, have have been influential as masters of, of suspicion and in that sense played a part in the in, in critical theory. Um, uh, Marcuse, for example, used Freud a lot uh, alongside with Marx. Uh, Foucault, for, Foucault is especially Marx, Nietzsche, and Freud are sort of the three starting points for him. Uh, that, that the masters of suspicion <laughs> and so on, yes. And, and uh, when we think historically about Karl Marx, it seems that in various countries all over the world, uh, the sort of, if we think of the 20th century as the battle of three ideologies, that being uh, liberalism, uh, communism and fascism, so the fascism and, and, and communism sort of lost the battle and liberalism has went on being quite successful and, and in many, many, many countries all over the world there has been uh, conflicts of various sorts where the sort of left-wing, uh, left-wing party has lost the battle and capitalism, uh, not capitalism, but communism and communist ideology has been kind of uh, 
almost forbidden or it's been not mm. very it's not been uh, widely acceptable and for example it has sort of stayed in the for example if you think of the 60s and 70s it's it was very prevalent for example in uh, Italian uh, academic circles but mm -hmm. do you feel that now uh, with the perhaps with the aid of critical theory the Marxism has gained more it's more acceptable uh, way of thinking up approaching uh, analyzing cap uh, societal circumstances and, 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 and questions of justice without being labeled as a communist uh, yes well um, has it um, at, at least you find uh, a lot of research uh, that quotes Marx and uses mm -hmm. Marx and uh, critical theory um, this, this, and it's, it's uh, sort of in the academic mm -hmm. world very, very much accepted as one of the obvious starting points for doing, doing societal uh, research um, whether that, that how that has may spill out in in society's life it's an extremely difficult thing I mean you said yes that, that sort of the tree of the tree the, the sort of liberal uh, has won that, that was a that was sort of a kind of uh, goodwilling optimism of the 1990s, mm -hmm. if I may say. After the end of the Soviet Union, you, many could sort of present the idea, um, even in a global perspective, that when we now begin to develop the global uh, society, uh, then we can sort of base ourselves on, on general ideas of liberalism, because they are really quite generally accepted because everybody rejected now communism and fascism is, is gone. So we have something to, to work with. There was a kind of optimism in that. You find it's very influential, uh, uh, I mean, in global political theory work with, within this kind of perspective and, and then sort of try to think, okay, what could that mean in a global world? Uh, a sort of liberal, liberal modes, how, how can we think about globally uh, but now I mean after that that optimism is again gone <laughs> and we live in a very different world the world has changed extremely much since the 1990s I mean uh, just mentioned the internet that didn't exist <laughs> almost at that time that has changed the world very much and now in the last 10 years or so we have have sort of uh, movements. We had the ISIS movement that came sort of from nowhere, uh, which was frightening and uh, and and sort of uh, for the time being, of course, died down. But then you had, of course, uh, these different kind of populist movements that we really we really don't yet um, think. I think we really don't understand what is going on there. What what are what is happening in the world when we see rise of different kind of populist movements, uh, people bringing out these kind of new, very simplified ideologies, and many like them. So many in Finland, so many other countries like sort of to go along with this. 
So clearly there's some some uh, something that that's not right. Mm. That that uh, and, and f- people feel that they need some something different. But mm. I don't think we really know yet what's going on. But but what is clear mm. is that 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 sort of optimism uh, in relation with the liberal mm. conception in the 90s it's sort of gone now because now it is so uh, the opposite kind of movements uh, so being so strong and what's going on yes so maybe if the, the present day situation calls us to being critical yeah. as is uh, the case with critical theory maybe oh, as we did with marx we could or you could uh, in this case give uh, us and as well as the listeners Uh, recommendations if you want to introduce yourself to critical theory where, what would be the the place to start in your opinion um, oh um, there's so much of that <laughs> there's, there's a lot of these uh, uh, handbooks in critical theory now available thick books um, I don't know if people well you you can download them of course so you you can uh, I myself, I like this uh, Fraser and Yegi's book on capitalism very much because the, the, that's a it's a conversational book and they go straight to the point and they discuss sort of what's critical theory, what's capitalism, how does it differ from this and that. This is a kind of easy, easy in, introduction to that. Um, uh, so, so that that's a good. But there's a lot of uh, a lot of books, of course, and and it so much depend on what the listener is him or herself interested in, so I wouldn't sort of go in, into any more recommendations. But it's true also, yes, I just to come back that you said that that Marx and eco-socialism, so so that's that's a kind of thing, yes, Marx and the Anthropocene, so so bringing in uh, Marx, and uh, sometimes it's just critical theory, but it's it's it sells better. If you <laughs> no, no, that was, that, that was not not good said. But, ironic. Yeah, that was ironic. <laughs> But it's uh, it's a good it's a good title, Marx and Anthropocene, because yeah. yes, similar <laughs> that you can you can order uh, factory made T shirts with Karl Marx picture from China. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but that, that's um, um, yes. Do we have any 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 anything else to add to the discussion of critical theory? I just think that critical theory it's, it's When you come to twentieth century and and you start to discuss philosophical movements, they become this so complex networks that it's yeah. So yeah. it's 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 like you said that it might be very difficult to just recommend one book. I I think it's also these are topics that are extremely complicated because as we kind of said also that the. the Critical theory, as is the case with many, many movements that can be counted among the continental philosophy, mm. are very complex and and manifold. So, yeah, yeah, they, they are they are of course complex, um, and uh, well, of course, I think um, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean um, that that. Um, I mean, the simplification is never a good thing. So, if you view, if you're interested in in philosophical and this kind of question, then then one shouldn't expect it to be simple. 
really, if you start to read and actually is really interested, things will get more and more complicated in life for you at some stage. And and this is sort of um, if you don't want that, then don't don't read philosophy. So going into philosophy means that you should begin to realize that things are more complicated, and that's the sort of the fascination of it also. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not myself neither advocating that. Please make everything simple. Uh, just short introductions to critical theory short introductions we, we have I, i mean there are also these critical theories that that are very good straightforward writers and, and exactly nancy fraser is one of these because uh, now uh, last year she published a, an easier version called cannibal capitalism okay. <laughs> where she explains the same things very straightforwardly with not that much uh, philosophical background but you so this is <laughs> you can also and this have a catching title cannibal capitalism <laughs> yeah sure what, what, what i was getting at was that that uh, the further we go along i think that we could stay up here all day discussing critical theory but maybe we have reached the point that uh, we can say that Uh, yeah. <clears throat> the, any further discussion about the topic would uh, would be testing the patience of our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> so we have now uh, discussed critical theory at length, and we have got a few few interesting book recommendations. So uh, all listeners who are interested in the topic can go and explore these uh, mentioned book topics uh, and. Of course, there are many other books. So, but I, 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 I'm certain that if you start with these books, just going through the the reference references at the back will get you into an endless rabbit hole of critical theory. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can find us at www.globalvisions.fi. Check out also Max's book, which is available to download for free at www.avisionofabetterworld.net. We are also on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and Discord. Everyone is welcome to take part in our activities and discussion, which is an invitation to reflect on how to make the world a better place.